Well, I'm really excited this morning. As I've been looking at the last part of this letter and I've been reflecting on everything that happened at New Wine, I really feel that the Lord has so much to say to us through these last few lines in this letter about family, about unity, about generosity. So let's pray before we dig in. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul and his love for the church, for his desire for the church to know you and for your love to flow through them to you and to each other. May these words speak to our hearts, Lord. May they guide us, may they challenge us, may they change us, that we would go out as part of your body into the world to serve you, to serve each other and to serve this world in which you have placed us. For your glory's sake, amen. Amen. So do keep your Bibles open um, at chapter 16, which I think I can't see very well, but it's on, I think it's 1157. Um, I'm going to be dotting around a bit. It's not going to be a very linear approach to this chapter this morning, but do keep, do keep it open. And so we've been set spending a summer in 1 Corinthians, and we've come to this last chapter. And it's a little bit more, I believe, than just a mop-up and a sum-up. It's... you. We see something of Paul's character here. We see something of his vision for the worldwide church. I wonder if you feel up to now that you've got to know Paul a little bit better as we've walked through this letter together. It's quite a practical set of instructions that we've heard, but there is quite a lot in there. And as we've seen, this letter is in response to to two things, reports that of problems within the newly formed church at Corinth, but also questions that the church had for Paul as the leader and planter of their church. And there's two left to clear up in this chapter. We know that he's responding to questions because he starts with that little phrase, now about... The first of these is the collection for the Lord's people. So who are the Lord's people here? They are the poor in Jerusalem. There's been a difficult famine there for those, for the mother church as Paul sees it. And Paul wants all churches to be involved in meeting the needs of the saints. If you look at his other letters, this collection for the Lord's people is mentioned several times. And perhaps the church is not quite sure how to go about it and how that collection would get there safely to Jerusalem. And Paul is quite clear about how this collection is to be made. Regular, intentional saving. If we look at um, further ahead in 2 Corinthians, he's very um, praising of the church in Macedonia, a very poor church, which has been very, very generous to the church in Jerusalem. Corinth is a rich church, and so he's expecting them to be generous. And he's quite canny, really, by getting them to be putting money aside in the meantime before he comes again. He's likely to get a lot more than if he just has one big whip round when he arrives. And it is clear that Paul sees that helping the mother church 
in material terms. The church that has given such spiritual blessing in in birthing the gospel is a way of uniting, of showing unity, of showing fellowship to those Jewish believers from the, the new Gentile Christians. And that as that unity grows, that fellowship grows, that love for each other grows, this brings a thankful heart for all and praise and glory to God, which is always Paul's concern. And he wants it all to be above board. He wants it, the money to go with trusted people. And that, again, will help the relationship with Jerusalem. If, if that collection is coming with trusted people and presented properly, perhaps even Paul will go with them. He's taking this very, very seriously, which shows his pastoral heart and his desire for unity. And we can stand with our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. We, we saw this in a very, very powerful and moving way at New Wine, where um, a lady from North Korea spoke to us about the persecution that North Korean Christians are facing. It's the most dangerous place on earth to be a Christian. She spoke of how her husband had been martyred, how she'd spent time in a prison camp under horrific conditions, and how God prompted her out of her poverty and her hardship out of her handful of rice that she was given every day to give, start giving to others in the prison camp. So what can we do to help our brothers and sisters? We may feel that we're very poor, but Paul's model for giving to our brothers and sisters, giving regular, setting aside a little regularly, it only costs £10 to send a Bible to North Korea Could we put 50p a week away until we have enough to stand with our brothers and sisters? Whenever we open our Bibles, can we remember that those people don't have one? And I believe the Lord is calling on us to care for the church. Not just here, but all over the world. The second now about, about our brother Apollos. If you cast your minds right back to chapter one, you'll remember that Paul was very concerned about divisions in the new church at Corinth. People were forming factions in the different names of the leaders, and Apollos was one of those leaders. He was a really popular, charismatic leader who many followed. But some reports say that he had actually left Corinth because he was so dissatisfied with the divisions there. Clearly, the Corinthians are eager to have him back. And Paul obviously doesn't hold Apollos responsible for these divisions or see him as any competition or threat. He calls him our brother and he urges him to go back to Corinth This really shows his character, I believe. And maybe Apollos doesn't want to go back because he doesn't want to be the cause of any further divisions. And these two seem to have the furtherance and the correct understanding of the gospel as their priority, not their own popularity. 
And that's something that we um, can think of for ourselves, for our leaders. How much does our popularity and good standing get in the way of the furthering of the gospel? And the way Paul answers these two questions, together with the tone of the rest of this chapter, really shows us his heart and his vision, both for those churches that he's founded and for the body of Christ as a whole, that we might live a life of love, unity, generosity, in response to God's grace, and be ready for Jesus when he returns. This chapter shows a picture of an international and an interdependent church. Paul mentions five Roman provinces alone in this chapter. Galatia, Judea, Macedonia, Achaia and Asia. And it's quite clear that all of these churches are on his heart. He doesn't just plant a church and run. He feels a duty of care and of oversight whilst not losing sight of his calling to be an evangelist for Christ. He wants to be with the Corinthians, but he needs to be where he can be most effective for the gospel, even in the midst of opposition. He's in Ephesus at the moment, and there's various opposition, not least economic opposition. There are lots of businesses involved in making statues of gods and goddesses, particularly the goddess Artemis. And there's trouble there because new Christians shunning idolatry are turning away from these statues. And so economic opposition comes just as um, much as um, spiritual opposition and um, opposition from leadership and government. His particular point at the end of the letter passing on greetings to other churches, some not known to them, and greetings from leaders like Aquila and Priscilla, who they do know, show his desire to build on and extend the family of God. He wants the whole body to care about each other and to provide for each other's needs. We've seen that earlier about caring for the poor in Jerusalem. But also he's interested in providing for leaders He wants to get their help for himself whilst he's with them, providing money, accommodation, help with travel plans to help him on that stage of his missionary journey. The church is interdependent in its sharing of personnel resources as leaders move around. He names several leaders in warm terms, such as Timothy, Apollos, Stephanus, and Aquila and Priscilla. His aim is for collaborative leadership with co-workers in Christ, supporting and sustaining each other in the body. And as we've just heard, we're going to be the recipients of that same generosity from other churches next year. When we need that support and that help, another church has reached out to provide it. So that that church is interdependent He's very concerned that the people of God respect and honour leaders amongst them, whether they're young, like Timothy, who was said to be nervous, a bit unsure, inexperienced. He specifically requests that the Corinthians 
are good to him and look after him. Perhaps he's worried that they might treat him as they've treated Paul. But he also reminds them of the more long-standing members of the body, like Stephanus, one of the first converts in Corinth, and reminding them of everything that he has done for them in refreshing them. They're all servants of the same gospel, like Paul. They are worthy of honour and respect. And those final um, instructions that we heard read in verses 13 and 14 to this first century church, they seem to cover everything that Paul has been talking about in his letter. They're a great reminder to us in our 21st century Christian life. How would it be every day if we looked in the mirror and resolved to be alert to temptation and distraction? How would it be if we resolve to stand firmly on our beliefs, even if they go against our prevailing culture, and are strong and courageous in the face of opposition and trials? We saw an amazing example of that at New Wine in the lady from North Korea and her fellow believers. And above all, do everything in love. Love the sort that Paul famously wrote about in chapter 13, the love that God has for us. The love that would seek holiness and obedience to God in all of our thoughts and our words and our deeds. Generous with material provision, time, talents for the body of Christ. Respect and honour leaders, seeking unity, not division, showing itself in our marriages, in our workplaces, in all our relationships, not self-seeking but self-giving, our thankful response to the absolute security of knowing that we, together with all the believers, are in Christ, in Christ, loved by God. Saved by amazing grace. And remember that many in Corinth had criticised Paul. They disappointed him. They'd infuriated him. They perhaps even disgusted him at times with their behaviour. But full of God's grace, he extends that same grace to them at the end of this letter. He begins it, he ends it as he began it, extending God's grace to them. And assuring them all of his love. How could he say that he loved them all after what some of them had put him through? Because he is in Christ. And Christ works in him just as he works in us. And those of us who believe are together in Christ as family. And the church really was family to Paul. He was always calling them his brothers and sisters. And we saw at New Wine a powerful, powerful image of the church, loving each other, pouring out generosity to each other, and receiving from each other at New Wine. We talk about church family, but do we really grasp what family means? Paul has shown us that we are interrelated and interdependent. But how do you feel about being dependent on the person next to you? 
How do you really feel about being responsible for my needs? Sometimes it's hard to really receive from each other. Just as hard as it is to give. At New Wine, there was a speaker, uh, I can't pronounce his name very well, Darren Ruinzoin, who leads the Garden Church in Long Beach, California, which sounds absolutely gorgeous, doesn't it? Long Beach, California. And he was talking about the generosity of the early church flowing from their love of God. He told of how in his church, the Garden Church, they would have financial collections from time to time and then invite the congregation to come up if they were in need and take from the collection. It might range from enough for a pair of school shoes for their children. It might be this month's rent. It might be a car or it might be clearing their debts. People would come to the church when they heard how they looked after each other. Darren made quite a bold statement. You don't need to go out. People will come in when they see how we care for each other. In fact, they were known in the local area as great tippers. When they went to restaurants, they would tip a minimum of 30%. And people would say, are you from the garden church? They would know. And so as Darren spoke, quite unplanned, he started to say, there's people here who can't pay their rent this month. There's people here who've come to New Wine and they don't know what to do. They are at their wit's end. And if you have been moved with compassion to help your fellow Christians come up and give. And people did. People flocked to give. Some people gave, started on their way back and were moved with compassion to give more and went back again. Lisa, who was with me, saw a man with money in his hand weeping and she had a sense that God wanted him to take more. But somehow he couldn't. It's sometimes difficult for us to admit our needs and to receive But this has come from God, moving the hearts of the saints. I know Paz won't mind me sharing, but he said to us this week, it was difficult for him really to grasp the generosity of the church in giving so generously to him for his birthday. But why shouldn't we show our love and our respect and our honour and our gratitude to our leader for what he does and is to us? Why shouldn't we do that? We bless him and we love him. And we want him to be as dependent on us as he is, as we are on him. Because we are brothers and sisters. We are interdependent. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) So that love and generosity works through people. When we give generously to each other out of love and we receive what we need from others humbly and gratefully, how can God not be glorified? Just as he was that morning. We can trust him with our resources. They come from him anyway. And we can sow generously. But we can also trust him to meet our needs in ways that may surprise us. It may come from a direction we're not expecting and overwhelm us just as they did that man at New Wine. 
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we love because you first loved us. Your great love, your great love that came in the person and the gift of your son. Lord, would you flow with that love? Would we receive that love now in Jesus' name? Would we receive that love? And as that love flows into us, may it flow out to others, to you first and then to others, to our brothers and sisters and to all that we meet. Come, Holy Spirit, pour out your love. May we receive it, receive it into our hearts, soften our hearts, Lord, to receive your love that we can freely love. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.